Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Blue Wire. It's exciting to win money. Back out to Allen. History final. Tie game with five seconds remaining. Is there anything you don't gamble on? Uh, not really. Gambling gods. Bunch. Oh, yeah. So easily offended. Gambler's not your problem. You're just an idiot. And we welcome you into Full Slate, a Blue Wire gambling podcast. My name is Greg Frank. You can find me on gambling Twitter at Undercover Greg. Joined, as always, by my partner in crime, Alex Uplinger, at Alex underscore up seven. And run, runs our podcast Twitter at full underscore slate underscore pod. Week three in the National Football League is upon us. And we are a gambling podcast, so Alex, and you're also a Steelers fan, so we have to acknowledge the gambling crime that Mike Tomlin just committed and just the overall uh, kind of injustices that took place on that Thursday night game as Cleveland wins 29-17. to 17. Yeah, I'd honestly rather not talk about it, but we kind of have to. I just yeah, I lost so much fucking respect for Tomlin. That was such a cowardice move. Fourth and less than one after the 12-man on the field penalty, and you kick. From the 17, down nine points. So and, like, I understand. Honestly, like, as I, I think maybe some listeners know, both myself and Alex were on the Steelers, Getting four and a half. So, of course, there's a little vested interest here, but I'm honestly just saying this from a football fan, watched a bunch of games perspective. When you're in that situation, down two scores deep in opposing territory, don't you always go for the touchdown first? I completely agree. I think it was so fucking cowardly not to. But. Let's I just, do understand. I do understand cutting it to six because you still have to get the onside kick. But if you score a touchdown 
and you get the onside kick, it's much easier to kick a field goal than to score the touchdown. That's where I look at this. You need a touchdown either way. So doesn't it make sense when you're already relatively close to the end zone, if not already in the red zone? When you haven't been moving the ball the entire fucking night, you're down there for the first time in in like a fucking hour. I'll point out, as we saw at the very end of the game, Pittsburgh did not get the onside kick and then prevented Cleveland from getting a first down and Cleveland could not run the clock out. So Pittsburgh got the ball back. So let's just say Pittsburgh had scored a touchdown and not gotten the onside kick and was down two, And then the same thing happened where you stopped them and Cleveland didn't get the first down. Then you're getting the ball deep in opposing territory, but at least you need a slightly less of a miracle because you only need to get the ball into field goal range as opposed to score a touchdown in 10 seconds or whatever. So it just seems like right. the right play there is to always get the touchdown first. I completely agree. And then we have to address that absolutely insane defensive touchdown at the end of the game, which, which completely did. fucked everyone. I don't know Not everyone. But. No, but that definitely pushed everybody over. Absolutely. I had under 40, so I was sitting at a push. You know, just getting my money back after an insane first half, which I just counted out. The under, the under was dead. And then, you know, it wasn't dead. It was completely alive. And then he kicked the field goal. You know, under 38 and a half was still alive there. You know, they go for it. They might not have scored a touchdown. And then under 38 and a half, which it was right. closing at, at cashes as well. But no, nothing fucking hits. And I can't even imagine how much money flipped as a result. Just thinking of teasers, like any teaser leg that had the Steelers. And then, I mean, you might have had the under or you had the Steelers tied to any games on Sunday. All those lost because that last touchdown after laddering the ball around. That's, I hate that. That gives me so many flashbacks of terrible beats in the past. The one that comes to mind, Washington. Chiefs 2017. Yeah, it's like 23 20. Monday night game. Oh, yeah. Everyone's watching that. The side and the total both flipped because of that last second. Kirk Cousins throws it, you know, pass it around, fumble. Justin Houston, I believe, recovers it, runs it back for a touchdown. And then the under loses, the Washington side loses. Just shit like that. Crazy. Sports. It's actually funny you mentioned Washington because I remember the Eagles being involved in a front door cover of similar fashion against Washington in, I think, 2019. I don't know if you remember that game. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, I, I do. I think I had the Eagles. Okay. Isn't so that where they – yeah. So I but guess it all – something we talked around, about. Right? It hurts a lot more when you lose on it than it does please you when you win. <laughs> exactly. I barely remember that Eagles one, which I cashed on, but I always remember that 2017 one. I'll remember this one for a while. Yeah, it's always the losers you remember. And I think that's because the losers usually, I mean, obviously, I'm like in general, outside of just my bets, like as a competitor, I hate close losses more than close wins. But I also think that. Usually the losses are like this where like tonight, if you had the under, 
most of the game, you felt good. And, well, I shouldn't say that. I think the first half went over. But regardless, as the game wore on in the second half, it was looking like an under. And usually this is how, I mean, this is why they call it bad beats. Like, it's a disgusting loss. And it just feels way worse because you felt like your side should have won. As opposed to, you know, if you're if anybody had the over tonight, you may have already cashed up your loss and not even really paid much attention to the total and then look up and just been like, oh, I won. That's great. Like, it doesn't feel the same. And I think what makes it a miserable beat is that it's it was inconsequential to the game. That last second touchdown didn't fucking matter at all. It only mattered to betters. Didn't matter to the outcome. Game was already over. Well, as you said, it's already done, so I guess let's not waste any more time on it. And uh, let's move on and start week three with another team in the NFC, or excuse me, the AFC North, and that's the Baltimore Ravens traveling to Foxborough to take on the New England Patriots. We're seeing Baltimore down to two and a half, a juiced two and a half on the Ravens, though. So this number was at the key of three most of the week. Important to note that total of 44. Alex, you got the Pats earlier at three. I was looking at the Pats, looking at the Pats, looking at the Pats. Couldn't get there. Probably because I just have too much respect for John Harbaugh and a team of his coming off of the kind of loss they were coming off of against Miami. I expect Baltimore to bounce back. But at the same time, I also have so much respect for Belichick and, you know, his defensive master, you know, wizardry against a guy like Lamar Jackson here, where, as we were talking earlier in the week, I thought, okay, New England's definitely the side here, but I couldn't get there on the basis that I did kind of see a Baltimore bounce back potentially in the cards. Um, And then I watched it go to two and a half and I was really pissed that I missed the New England plus three because, as I said, I felt like. That was the correct side of the number. Um, And the other thing I'll point out here is, well, so I'm not playing it at two and a half, but I do think this is one where the total tips you off a little bit on the side. Seeing a total of just 44 indicates a lower scoring game. That's obviously good for the Patriots. So all that makes me think New England uh, and under. But I think... Because I missed the three, I'll stay away, and I just think this will be a fun game to watch between two great coaches. I definitely don't blame you for not quite getting there with the Patriots. I reluctantly did, mainly because I respect Belichick enough, and this is such a strength against strength. This is great Ravens offense against a solid Patriots defense and just Belichick being such a defensive minded coach. I like to lean that way, especially at home getting three. I saw Belichick. He's 15 and five against the spread. It's a home underdog. And then I saw he's 29, 24 and one against the spread without Tom Brady. So I just like the strength-on-strength battle. Yeah, and another thing I want to jump in and say with regard to the Belichick home dog thing, I think that makes a lot of sense, too. And I know both of us are still a little bitter, as we talked about in terms of the Tomlin dog stuff. But you think about both of these guys, Tomlin and Belichick, uh, and they are 
excellent defensive minds. And usually a defensive mind is going to be good as a home dog because they're going to figure out ways to stop the opposing offense, which if you're a home dog, the opposition has a better offense. So I think all of that kind of makes sense in terms of Belichick, Tomlin. You know, I, I realize a lot of the coaches these days are offensive minds, but good defensive minds being good home dogs just conceptually makes a lot of sense to me. Exactly. And then you mentioned this being a lower total. And we saw the Ravens defense just get absolutely shredded late. So that doesn't really instill confidence in their defense, despite the Patriots offense not being, you know, the best. I wouldn't even put him in the middle middle tier, but I'm hoping that he can just scheme something up to really shut down Lamar. And it looks like Dobbins is going to be back. He was a full participant today. But then you look to the defensive side of the ball. Marcus Peters was limited in practice today. And it's really that secondary that got absolutely shredded down the stretch last week against the Dolphins. So I think maybe Jones can, you know, somewhat pick apart this defense a bit, keep the game close. And like we said, with a total of 44, it makes me want to grab the three at home. I'm not sure if I would grab two and a half necessarily now, but I I still think the Patriots are the correct side here. All right, let's not waste any more time and move on. I do think, again, Baltimore and New England just will be a fun football game to watch. Intrigued to see kind of the battle that goes on here between the Baltimore offense and the New England defense. And, um, you know, I I do think for the most part in terms of the New England offense versus the Baltimore defense, you're still talking about a New England kind of game management, you know, protect the football offense. And I think that a lot of what we saw last week in Pittsburgh – is going to be a lot of what New England continues to do. You look at their offensive personnel, it still doesn't wow you. And their offensive coaching staff, that was a big topic of conversation in the offseason with Patricia and Judge. So, uh, Alex, I do think just we're going to be singing the same tune with regard to Patriots games here every week in terms of, like, how does their defense combat the opposing offense? And I know that's not really in line with kind of the, the modern way of playing the game, but – that's just what the Patriots seem to think is going to be their path to success. Yeah, absolutely. And an interesting trend, if you've been following the NFL first two weeks up to this point, it's worth noting that unders through the first two weeks are 22 and 10. So this might be a sneaky underplay hoping the Patriots defense can limit them. And then if you're not sold so much on the Patriots offense, you might see a lower scoring game in this one. You think some of that is just early season defenses being ahead of offenses? Yeah, I could see that. I could see it takes offenses, especially with new head coaches. But then, you know, you look at this Miami team with a brand new head coach and they're they're firing on all cylinders somehow and putting up a ton of points. Yeah, I think it could could definitely speak to offenses sort of trying to get into the rhythm. And then if you've watched any Steelers game, the, their offense is not clicking at all. So that, that just speaks to their fucking quarterback. Well, you mentioned the uh, AFC's clash uh, and the Miami Dolphins. Let's get to that now as the Dolphins – Welcome in the Buffalo Bills to South Beach, and we're seeing Buffalo 
a, I think, still pretty hefty five-and-a-half-point favorite in this game between two AFC's foes. Of course, Miami coming off of the uh, wildly impressive comeback that hurt us. Uh, you know, we're just getting all of our losses out here and yapping about them as we had the steel, the Ravens, excuse me, last week, minus the points. Uh, but nonetheless, it actually does look like I'm seeing now five at DraftKings. Total of 52 and a half. Uh, I don't know, Alex. I just feel like this is one where I don't know how Miami and the, you know, youth of the team between Tua and Jalen Waddle and, you know, young coach. I, and, and obviously Tyreek Hill first year there. I, I don't know how they get back up after such a, an emotional comeback. Are they able to follow that up? with an equally as impressive, if not more impressive, performance against Buffalo. I have my doubts there. But I also just think this is clearly a Buffalo tax of five on the road in a division game against a team that might be your biggest competition in the division to begin with. And I realize Miami's not a great home field, but I don't like paying these kinds of point taxes. And I have a lot of questions about, again, the Miami kind of bounce back after you know, bounce back might be the wrong term because they won the game. But how they get back up off the, off of such an emotional win, 2-0, and of course, they beat New England in week one. So I guess because of that, I lean bills. But again, the inflated number uh, scares me, even though maybe it shouldn't because Buffalo just kind of seems to run through everybody. They've won 20 straight games by double digits. Uh, still, I'll pass the game. Yeah, exactly. It's not so much, you know, what Buffalo is going to do. It's really how is Miami going to take being 2-0 and and then back at home after a massive win. I really don't want to lay the points with Buffalo, but I think that's the only side you can look. I know a lot of people are high on the Dolphins, and rightfully so. They have, you know, two of the better wide receivers in the NFL. Mike McDaniel looks to be scheming up, you know, incredible offenses. I was really impressed with what they did in the fourth quarter. Unfortunately, it absolutely fucking burned us. But, yeah, lane five on the road in a divisional game, that's really tough. But if you are looking to the Bills' side, it's incredible what they've been doing just in their regular season. I saw recently – 22 of the last 23 Bills regular season games, their wins, sorry, not regular season games, their regular season wins have been by 10-plus points. They absolutely blew out the Titans. I just, I do not want to step in front of this Buffalo team. This is an absolute pass for me. Yeah, it's a pass for me as well. So let's, uh, gosh, AFC East heavy out of the gate and uh, AFC North heavy, I guess, for that matter, because the third game in the rotation is the Cincinnati Bengals heading to the Meadowlands to take on the New York Jets. And uh, this is a game that we saw last year and the game in which the Jets snuck up on the Bengals and upset them. Bengals 0-2, and we know the stats on 0-2 teams. It's not great. A total of 45 Bengals are laying six here. I don't know, Alex. I feel like this is another one where 
much like Miami last week, we saw the Jets with a an insane comeback. It's crazy that Cleveland is a debacle against the Jets away from being 3-0 and now as we sit here late on a Thursday night recording after Cleveland picked up the Thursday night win against Pittsburgh. So uh, having said that, uh, the Jets pull one out from the depths of defeat last week against Cleveland. Now they welcome in Cincinnati. The Bengals lose on the road against Dallas as a seven-point dog, or excuse me, seven-point favorite last week. Uh, clearly, I think a lot of people, this number's been bet up, by the way. I think it opened four and a half. Uh, and I think there's definitely some public belief in the Bengals bouncing back. Uh, it's another one, like I said, with the Jets and Miami pair of AFC's teams where you wonder about the get back up and play another football game response. Uh, so I'm going to stay away. Um, I probably lean with Cincinnati on the basis that while the offensive line still doesn't look great for the Bengals, and that might be being nice. I still think I'm not sure the Jets have enough personnel in the front seven to really exploit that well enough. So Cincinnati would be my lean. Uh, but I definitely have a little concern about the Bengals. Uh, and I think I'm going to need to see them look like last year's Bengals before I'm comfortable with them in this price range. So I pass the game. It's definitely, definitely fair to have some concerns. I, I grabbed Cincy at four and a half early in the week. I still would consider minus six. I think this is a good teaser leg. I've been thinking about it for my survivor pool, which I'm somehow still alive in. A lot of those pools got emptied out quick within the first two weeks. Ton of crazy upsets. I just like I like the Bengals to bounce back here. And like you mentioned, the offensive line, a lot of concerns. And it looks like Lyle Collins didn't practice today. So that's another offensive line concern for the Bengals. But can the Jets really take advantage? They only sacked Jacoby Brissett once last week. They got to Lamar Jackson twice. So this isn't quite the pass rush of the Cowboys, who, you know, Micah Parsons, arguably one of the better defenders in the NFL. He's probably the front runner when defensive player of the year after Watt goes down. And just 0-2 teams against the spread. That's the bank pools. Couldn't cover his huge favorites. Since 2010, teams that are 0-2 against the spread, they're 46-29-1 against teams that have previously won. So that would be the Jets, who squeaked out that game. As you mentioned, I think the Jets are really riding a high here. That game was, you know, one fluke bomb from Flacco away from being absolutely done and the, the Browns were going to cover pretty comfortably. I just don't see the Jets stringing together two performances like that and I really don't think they can take advantage of this Bengals offensive line. I I would probably still play the Bengals at minus six. Yeah, no, it's definitely a, a fair way of leaning in this game and um, you know, I, I think the Jets are uh, it's fair to wonder kind of how they respond after 
winning that game. So I'm definitely with you. Not going to get there in terms of an investment, but think that is the proper side of the number in this one. Let's keep things moving and go to another division game. We talked about Buffalo and Miami in the AFC East. Let's go to the NFC South, where the New England, the New Orleans Saints, excuse me, are a short road favorite against the Carolina Panthers. New Orleans laying two and the hook total of 41. It looks like in this one, New Orleans and Carolina and Alex, uh, we were boned by the Panthers last week. Oh, so close, but uh, close doesn't count in this business. And uh, they lose by three in the Meadowlands against the Giants. And they go back home and, um, you know, I feel like I say this every week, but must win for Matt Rule as he tries to uh, survive another week. I, I honestly do think it's possible if New Orleans wins this game that we find out like on Monday morning that Matt Rule is fired. He's, he's fucking gone. If they don't yeah. win this game, he's fucking gone. Um, Absolutely. And you know, we were both boned on New Orleans last week. I do think that watching a lot of that game, New Orleans just looked to be like a car in neutral on offense, basically the whole game and Jameis threw a pick six. So for as good as he looked early on last year, uh, pre ACL injury, it does look like we're getting more Tampa Jameis than uh, New Orleans Jameis right now, and when he's already ba- he's already banged up again. He's banged up, and you know, I think that, you know, desperation. There were some questions about the New Orleans offense uh, without Sean Payton, and you know, save for a late comeback against the Falcons, it's been pretty hideous. So, um, you know. It's hard to lay points with bad offenses, and uh, we'll get to another game that I especially feel like highlights that as well. Um, but, you know, we love our divisional dogs, uh, even though we lost on the Steelers tonight. Uh, and so I think Carolina's probably the side, but, you know, at least for me, we talked about it. Like, Carolina's probably banned at least for a week. I, I just couldn't do it. So I, I think you ended up getting there, though. Yeah, I took the three. See, it's down to two and a half. I still would be comfortable with that. I think the Panthers win this game outright, but it is worth noting that the Panthers are two and fourteen against the spread in their last sixteen games, which is just absolutely miserable. I think that speaks to rule. But Baker Mayfield also not a great quarterback against the spread in his own right, dating back to his days in Cleveland. I still think this is the right side. I think Carolina has enough skill positions. I think they have the better offense. Granted, the Saints defense, they did look great last week. Absolutely slogged up that game. They really slowed it down. And Winston just couldn't capitalize. The offense looked stagnant. And then looking at their injury report today, Winston and Kamara, both limited today as well as our starting offensive tackle Taysom Hill for what it's worth he was also limited this just feels like a game at Carolina should and will win I'm pretty confident in this one despite saying that I was banning the Panthers (laughs) I was I was saying there's no chance I'm taking this I really really don't want to bet the Panthers I was gonna say now we're confident in the Panthers yeah, I just home divisional dog. 
I just feel like this Panthers offense has way too much talent. I might be higher on Baker than most. Definitely did not look bad last week. They probably should have won that game. I was feeling pretty confident in our Panthers play last week, and you know, until I wasn't. But it definitely did not look bad. I think this Carolina team has too much talent. I just I'm kind of out on the Saints right now. Yeah, no, I hear you on being out on New Orleans. I think that as somebody that bet the Saints to win the NFC South, I'm I'm just hoping that they can kind of stay in contact right now with Tampa and, you know, whatever happens with Brady and, you know, as the season progresses, I'm not, I don't know if Tampa can sustainably win with all defense the way it's been doing. So I'm just hoping that New Orleans can, as I said, stay in contact and we'll see where we're at come November, December on that. But certainly right now it's a tough team to lay points with on the road. Uh, So I understand and the logic behind uh, going back to the Panthers well, even though we've been hurt uh, by Carolina uh, back yeah, to back. Yeah, I, I, I honestly, I fucking hate it. But yeah. I have to do it. Another divisional game takes place in the Twin Cities as the Detroit Lions head to Minneapolis to take on the Minnesota Vikings. Detroit catching six at U.S. Bank Stadium, total of 52 and the hook. Uh, here we have Here we have it, Alex. Kirk Cousins. Back in his vintage Kirk Cousins 1 p.m. Eastern window. The 1 p.m. God. The guy is absolutely a legend. And and here he is again in that spot. And, you know, I know Detroit has been scrappy. 2-0 against the spread. Division dog. But it does feel like a spot where, like, listen, Kirk, I mean, I obviously watched every snap of it as an Eagles fan last week. Eagles-Vikings. Kirk was just garbage. I mean, he, he like the Eagles, especially in the second half of that game, were trying to let him back into the game. And he just kept declining every invitation that was coming his way. So I mean, I, they I, were they had every opportunity to to make that game close. And I think that's something as a better it's important to take note of and understand that while the Eagles won the game by three scores. Uh, there were plenty of times in that second half where it could have even been down to a one-score game. So, with that, yeah, it in didn't mind, feel that close, right? Uh, I'm sorry. Or it felt it felt closer than than the actual. In the second half, indicated. it absolutely did. And uh, you know, I, I think uh, we talk often about kind of a gambling proverb that we both like here about no team being as good or as bad as it looks on any one week. Um, and you know, I mentioned New Orleans to win the South. I I took Minnesota to win the North as well. So, uh, you know, I'm not all of a sudden shifting my position that much in terms of how good New Orleans, or excuse me, Minnesota is, or New Orleans for that matter. But I'm not betting either team. But I do think, the, as I said, the point of no teams as good or as bad as it looks on any one week really applies to both of these teams. Where you had Minnesota look really bad in Philly last week and you had Detroit win basically wire to wire against Washington. So um, because of that, it's normally the stuff you look to kind of bet against in terms of the positive regression for Minnesota and the negative regression for Detroit. I think Minnesota's aside, I won't play it because uh, I, I, res- I respect the fact that Detroit hangs in games and covers numbers at the very least. 
but I definitely think Minnesota's aside, and I think you said you're going to get there with the Purple People Eaters. Yeah, I took it. This is one of those zigzag type of spots. He had the Lions cover last week. The Vikings did not cover. Now you're laying six at home. Coming back to a comfortable territory. It's just one of those where I'm I'm really trusting Kirk Cousins at 1 p.m. He's just absolutely elite. I mean, they looked incredible against Green Bay. And then they go to Philly in primetime, and they look like absolute dog shit. The offense looked terrible. So I'm just counting on them to bounce back. And I'm not quite buying the Detroit hype yet. I mean, that's a lot of hype. I'm sure this is going to be one of the bigger public dogs just from not necessarily hard knocks, but from seeing the Lions look great on offense and cover in the first two weeks. Granted, against Philly, that was quite the, quite the cover for them. They probably didn't quite deserve that, but they got it done. They absolutely destroyed Washington, although Washington kind of had some opportunities there. They kept the game close. I just like I like the Vikings to bounce back. Let's stay in Big Ten country and go from Minnesota to Indiana, where the Colts are at home hosting the Kansas City Chiefs. And we're seeing Kansas City, a five and a half point road favorite, total of 50 and the hook. Alex, this is one where (laughs) you and I especially talk about this, where the line opens and you kind of lean one way and usually it's the less public side. And then you see the line move in the direction of the less public side. And then you like it better at the lesser number. And and that's kind of where I was on this game, where I, I saw it open seven and I thought, all right, I lean Colts. Didn't bet it at seven, only because I very easily could have seen it go to seven and a half or eight. So I sat there, and then as the week progressed, bang, there it was, down to five and a half the next time I looked. Uh, So, yeah, again, taking the worst number. But I definitely think that Indianapolis is the side to bet in this game because, gosh, talk about no team being as bad as you look in any one game well are the Colts as bad as they've looked in the first two games (laughs) if they are then they got a lot of work to do uh but I I think that from an Indianapolis standpoint uh a get right game is coming and they could quote unquote get right here still cover and lose outright I mean it's still a big enough number for that to happen um But I think if you're the Colts, you have to look at this and say, Jonathan Taylor, Jonathan Taylor, Jonathan Taylor. And you shorten the game, which makes me think this could be a correlated game where you go under as well if you like Indianapolis. Um, I'm not really sure what Matt Ryan has left in the tank, but if he can kind of Jimmy Garoppolo his way to a mistake-free game and Jonathan Taylor can get in the end zone at least once, I think the Colts can cover here. Kansas City, always expensive, five and a half on the road. 
you know, we saw them run right through Arizona in week one, did not cover in week two against the Chargers. Um, I, I don't know that the well-oiled machine just keeps going here against the Colts team that I still think sooner or later will look like the team a lot of people were picking to win this division. So it's kind of just a bet on Indianapolis looking more like Indianapolis. Colts plus five and a half for me. I hate to be that guy, but I did grab the Colts plus seven earlier in the week. I did that solely hoping that the injury reports would be in my favor, and it looks like they are. Buckner and, most importantly, Shaq Leonard. Darius Leonard. We're calling him Shaq now. We went to Shaq. They were both full participants in practice today. Pittman was limited in practice today. That might be bigger than the two defensive guys, just being that the Colts' offense has been so stagnant. So hoping that he can be a full participant on Friday and he can be a go would be a huge boost. But, yeah, this is just a spot where the Colts are coming home after two road games you know, making their home debut on the season. And just historically, last couple of seasons, we haven't seen the Chiefs really cover these sort of numbers. Even just back to last week, they gave up that backdoor cover to an absolutely dead (laughs) Justin Herbert. I mean, he can barely even run, still makes miraculous throws to get that cover. Chiefs just don't really blow out these teams like they should and like you mentioned they did absolutely destroy the Cardinals but I'm I'm pretty low on the Cardinals I'm not quite ready to give up on the Colts I think five and a half is still a very good number to grab I think this could be a sneaky one where they just they win this game outright just feels like one of those games in the NFL where everyone's completely down on the Colts off the Colts Chiefs are the best team in the NFL at 2-0, you know, before the and, season. Andy Reid extra like, time to prepare, too. Yeah, that's another – that's a great trend as well. And, you know, this is one of the Super Bowl favorites preseason. So everyone loves the Chiefs. I wouldn't be surprised if this number might get higher come Sunday. So maybe wait to bet this. It's not going back to seven, but maybe you get six, which – is a very key number in football. So I might wait a little, but I think the Colts are definitely the side here. So there's our first consensus play for week three, Indianapolis, plus the points at home. Let's stay with another AFC West, AFC South clash between a couple of teams that are Desperate for a win. 0-2 Las Vegas heading to 0-2 Tennessee. Uh, And this game is kind of in that short, you know, sub three area of right now it looks like two in favor of the Raiders laying it on the road. Total of 45 and a half. Alex, I got to be honest, I'm pretty concerned about the Titans. I think that last week, as much as you want to... And I think a lot of people nationally are singing the praises of Buffalo. You know, and rightfully so. I think we can also look at Tennessee now and 
Also, I, I think it's very fair to say, okay, wait a second. You were the one seed in the AFC last week or last year. And you just got blown out by Buffalo. You've regressed in a pretty big way. You also look at that Giants game in week one. And you certainly don't feel great about where Tennessee's at. And I think the big problem is just offensively, where are the X plays coming from? A.J. Brown is gone. Derrick Henry has had two lackluster games. And, you know, he's much younger than Tom Brady. But I do feel like it's a similar thing in terms of every year, particularly the fantasy community, you have somebody that's like, well, can Derrick Henry just keep chugging? Can he keep carrying this heavy load that he is shouldered with for the Titans? And, you know, we know about the shelf life of running backs and things like that. And it does feel like, and the point I'm making is, okay, they trade A.J. Brown, and they're almost relying on Henry even more than they have in the past, which was a ton to begin with. So I don't like the way they're set up on offense. We saw Ryan Tannehill. We saw the Bengals in the playoffs last year take away Derrick Henry, and Ryan Tannehill just shit himself. So that's another thing where I look at it and say, well, I don't think Tannehill can ignite this offense. So I think there's a, you know, as much as I respect Mike Vrabel, uh, and we talked about, we talked earlier in the pod about defensive minded coaches as home dogs, that would apply here. I just don't want anything to do with Tennessee at the moment. And, you know, obviously I mentioned Vrabel, McDaniels, I have my doubts on as a head coach. I think the Raiders are just a right now a roster that I'm far more interested in betting on and also a team that I think is a better 0-2 than the Titans. The Titans lost at home against the Giants as nearly a touchdown favorite. And then I mentioned the Buffalo loss as well, getting blown out. Raiders could easily be 2-0. They lost a game against the Chargers as a road division dog in which Carr turned the ball over, I think, three times. And they should have won last week against Arizona, plain and simple. So I think the Raiders are playing better football right now, and they would be the side here. Uh, but I'm going to pass a pair of 0-2 teams. I'm not really sure in terms of the desperation and tangible who that favors. So I'll stay away. But lean Raiders. Strong, strong lean on the Raiders. The more I look at it, the more I want to play them. But it's worth noting how good Mike Brabel is as a dog. I'm sorry, he's eight and four against the spread and outright as a home dog. He was three and oh outright last season as a home dog. There's just so many questions with this Titans team, especially on defense, which is usually what they really lean on. They lean on their defense and their running game to to really, you know, cover up the quarterback deficiencies that they have. No one can be high on Tannehill, and rightfully so. Like you mentioned, this Raiders roster just on paper feels like the way better team. The more I look at it, the more I want to play the Raiders, but this kind of goes against Everything we preach on here, you know, about home dogs and especially with a low, lower total like this, 45. The numbers point to the Titans. I just 
cannot get behind this Tennessee offense right now. I think the more I think about it, talk about it, I'll probably be on the Raiders come Sunday. It just it feels too good to be true. The Raiders offense looks like they should absolutely dismantle this Tennessee secondary. Why? Right. I mean, listen, like too. you know, the Raiders are a much better offense than the Giants, we think, and the Giants got into the low twenties, I think, on uh, the Titans, and you know, okay, so Buffalo hung forty on them, but. You figure the Raiders land somewhere in the middle, upper 20s, low 30s, that that would be enough for them to win and cover. Exactly. So why is this only two points? Right. I understand it's on the road. You know, Tennessee might have one of the more decent home fields. I feel like out in Nashville, they get get pretty rowdy for this Titans team, but a Titans team that's 0-2 coming home again, I don't know. Can they really show up like they normally do. I, I think on paper, minus two looks really, really inviting. couple more early games to get to before we hit the late window. Let's go to the NFC East where the Philadelphia Eagles are a six-and-a-half-point road favorite against the Washington Commanders total in this game, sitting at about 47, it appears. And, uh, you know, Alex, this is a game that both of us have kind of uh, talked about throughout the week and um, speaking of home fields yeah do you think that's the, the opposite yeah is it going to be 60 40 Washington or uh, Eagles Philly home? yeah it may well be uh having said that uh, the Eagles lost their season opener two years ago in 2020 at Washington which was the debut game for Ron Rivera uh as the commanders or I guess the football team head coach at that point. Um, And uh, we also saw the uh, commanders win in Philly to clinch the division in 2020. So they swept them head to head in 2020 because that was a pretty bad year for the Eagles. And uh, last year, I I think the Eagles won both against Washington, if I'm not mistaken. I know one of those was a Tuesday night game uh, that the Eagles won. Yeah, they did win both last year. But regardless, um, we've talked about this being kind of a – a tricky spot for the Eagles uh, and you could argue, yeah, it's an extra home game for Philly, but I just look at the motivation here and think that there's a pretty clear Washington advantage. Philadelphia with a big primetime Monday night win against Minnesota. Uh, you know, we talk often on this pod about teams being fat and happy. The Eagles are, there's a lot of love. I mean, there was a lot of hype going into the season. They've mostly lived up to it. They're two and zero. As we said, primetime game Monday night. Um, there, there couldn't be more hype for the Eagles right now. Yeah. And, and, I, saw, like, I saw Hertz was down to plus 800. I think he's what, third or fourth choice to be the MVP. Yeah, after opening 40 to 1. Right. Yeah, exactly. So there is plenty of love to go around uh, for the Eagles. And then you look at Washington, and they just got blown out. Really, I mean, it felt that way. I mean, I guess the score wasn't that much of a blowout, but behind almost the whole way against the Detroit Lions. And uh, earlier we talked about how Minnesota would be the side in that AF, in that NFC North clash with how well Detroit looked, kind of wanting to fade them. Well, you could also argue that maybe it's a buy on the Washington Commanders for some positive regression. We saw Washington win in week one against the Jacksonville Jaguars, so they are still one and one. 
And, you know, I, I think this is the year the NFC East jokes go to bed with the Washington Commanders and the New York Giants, both potentially looking like teams that could hang around in the playoff mix in a down NFC. Having said that, one and one early on is, is still fine. And so I think Washington comes back off of a loss, first division game of the season, and, and gives a really inspired effort. And, you know, if you're interested in a Carson Wentz revenge game, we have that, too. So I think the number's a little inflated with how much love there is for the Eagles. And again, being a big marquee primetime window game last week for the Eagles. Uh, yeah, I'm going to be on Washington. I mean, this is something we preach a lot about home dogs, division games. So we have all that. And uh, again, uh, the kind of buy low, sell high, buy low, Washington, sell high, Philadelphia talks to me a little bit as well. Commanders plus the six and a half. It's also worth noting how much this line moved. It opened at four. It's now up to six and a half after that Eagles Monday night performance, which was admittedly really impressive. But also, I think the the Vikings kind of gave that away um, under Kirk in prime time. They had every opportunity. You know, they had some goal-to-go situations, throwing interceptions, like terrible interceptions in the end zone. Yeah, I think Washington is a side here. Six and a half, you're almost getting a touchdown at home. Granted, not much of a home field advantage. Probably one of the weakest in the entire NFL. I would, I would say probably the weakest outside of, you know, L.A. when they welcome all fans. Washington. You, you could also just say probably the weakest home field, period, in the NFL. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's definitely fair, especially when it comes to this game where you have Eagles right there. I mean, it's a a three-hour road trip you know they're going to be out in full force but I agree I think this is a side I saw Carson Wentz he's five and one against the spread in his past six games as an underdog they did lose last week as a dog it wasn't that close but you know the offense did look look pretty good outside a couple couple mistakes there I'm more concerned about the defense and then the Eagles defense stepped up last last week as we kind of expected and that's why we were yeah, all over the Eagles we expected their defense kind of to come back to the median which is good so yeah I feel like we've had a pretty good there. read on both uh, you know last week the Eagles and Minnesota I think we both leaned pretty heavily towards Detroit in week one against Philly both had Minnesota week one against Green Bay and both had Philly week two against Minnesota. So, um, you know, we did. We we're on Minnesota here and we like the commanders as well in the nation's capital. Yeah. So let's hope that continues. I feel like we have these divisions pretty well figured out. We'll see how that goes in week three. Let's head to the late window games where I actually think we have a sneaky, interesting game at SoFi Stadium. This first game in the late window, I realize, uh, you know, not a ton of the country will get this regionally, but Jacksonville heading to the Chargers all of a sudden kind of has my interest a little more than I thought it would a couple weeks ago. Jacksonville catching seven, total of 47 here. Um, but Alex, I think the ineptitude of the the AFC South actually makes Jacksonville really interesting in this game. Because 
you know, I'm going to give kind of a more motivational, motivationally inspired handicap here, much like we talked about with Washington. Uh, excuse me. Before we get that, it's an easy game to skip over, but I did skip a game. The Houston Texans travel to the Chicago Bears. The Chicago Bears are favored to win a football game. <laughs> it's a game of the week. Alex, that's all I'm going to say. Is that's the our Chicago Texans. Bears are favored to win a football game. Greg, that's our Texans. This is our That's true. That's true. We kind of have adopted them. <laughs> we've, been, we've been riding them as underdogs. All Here they are. I think you got three. I don't know that those are widely available. A total of just 40 here. Yeah, I grabbed the three, and I still would be comfortable playing the under. Strongly to the under, I might get there. It's just a question of how do the Bears fucking score? I don't know how this team really can score that much. I mean, we saw last week against the Packers that fields – you know, they call it short. I, I already short. forgot they beat San Francisco week one. Yes, I, that was the monsoon game, which I think most people can just write off. It's honestly unbelievable. I was looking at the game log, and he had more completions. Justin Fields had more completions in that San Francisco game than he did against the Packers. He had eight completions against San Francisco in that driving rain. Just the most miserable game you play. And then he had seven completions against the Packers. But he only had 11 attempts, 11 passing attempts in an NFL game in the year 2022. It's just unbelievable. I'm just buying this Texans team way more. They play way better. I know people are probably down on Davis Mills. He's been an underdog his entire career. But they're, you know, they're 2-0 against the spread. Start the season. They, defense, they held Indy to 20 points. Held Denver, you know, let Russ cook. We think this is a way better offense. They held them to 16 points last week. I would argue both of those offenses are vastly better than Chicago. Yeah, I mean, I think you could insert any offense into the uh, sentence, and 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 said offense would be vastly better than Chicago. <laughs> That's probably fair. So. Would you argue Seattle? Oh, I, I think the Bears are the worst better. team in the NFL. Yeah, is it is it by far? I think Seattle's probably up there. Texans are probably close, but not quite Bears level of ineptitude. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that, and uh, and I do think. Houston is a side, but as I said, I'm, I'm not going to play this game, and I kind of wish this game didn't exist. Uh, and I kind of tried to speak the non-existence of this game into existence by skipping over it. But anyway, um, let's get back to Jacksonville and the Chargers. I mentioned it. The ineptitude of the AFC South actually kind of has me interested in Jacksonville. And, uh, you know, it's still very early, and, you know, Tennessee or Indianapolis could wake up. Uh, so hopefully Indianapolis, since we're on them, as we talked about earlier. But I'm a little frustrated that I didn't just take a flyer on the Jags to win this division because I did kind of see a path here where I saw Matt, it too, and, and I'm I'm very upset. Wasn't this this was like eleven to one? It was long, yeah. And if you think about it, like for a division I, that's massive. A division that's massive, and 
the top, the shorter choices in Indian Tennessee both have big quarterback questions. I mean, Matt Ryan might just be washed and Tannehill might just be bad, you know, in, in which case that makes Lawrence the best quarterback in the division. And, uh, you know, you have that, you have a comp- competent head coach there with Doug Peterson and Jacksonville's very close to Alex. I'm sure you saw more of it than I did in week one, Washington, Jacksonville. Jacksonville probably should have won the game. So they're very close to being 2-0. and um, And the blowout from Indy last week also perked my interest because my, the point I want to make about the ineptitude of the division is now I think from a motivational standpoint, you have Jacksonville heading to SoFi and they're saying, hey, wait a second. We're in first place. We're the only team in this division that's won a fucking game yet. Let's ride the wave a bit. Let's keep things moving. I don't know what their expectations were internally for this season, but it probably wasn't to win the division. And I think early on, they have to feel that way right now. They have to feel there is a an avenue, a path that they might not have envisioned uh, at the beginning of the season. And again, I think that that path, as I said, I'm a little annoyed I didn't just take a flyer on it because obviously we know Doug Peterson can coach. If the leap from Lawrence existed, he immediately becomes the best quarterback in this division. And, you know, if a lot of the other, you know, Christian Kirk looks like a good signing for them at wide receiver and uh, they got ripped for that with how much they paid. And you got Lawrence's college teammate, Travis Etienne back in the backfield. So if the pieces, Trayvon Walker, obviously number one pick on defense, if the pieces all come together for Jacksonville quickly enough, they could stick around most of the year. Uh, particularly in this division. And again, they look around and say, nobody's taken this. Why not us? I think there's some of that maybe emanating within the Jacksonville locker room right now. And so obviously I'm going to be on them plus the touchdown here for everything I just said in terms of pro Jacksonville stuff. And then the Chargers, what the hell's going on with Justin Herbert? We don't really know where those ribs are at. And I think that on a, you know, even with more time to prepare, it does feel kind of get in, get out-ish for the Jag, or excuse me, for the Chargers uh, against the Jags. You think they just kind of try and preserve Herbert and win ugly here and get to two and one and move on. Uh, also, last thing, I think this is a coaching advantage for Jacksonville. I mentioned Doug Peterson. Brandon Staley's been known to botch a lot of games. So a lot of things pointing me to Jacksonville. That's why I said, I think not a lot of people are going to see this game because this is the first of the late afternoon kickoffs and it starts 20 minutes earlier than the other three. So you're really only going to see it if you're in these local markets, but curious to see how this one goes. So I'll take Jacksonville plus seven. I am in complete agreement. They like the Jag too. I think that's a great point about the coaching mismatch. We've seen Staley make some blunders, and then he went a little too conservative against the Chiefs after you know being ultra aggressive the previous season, not kicking those field goals. Then he is when he should probably be going for it. I just I think seven is a little too high here. What do we expect from Herbert? Like you mentioned, I've been following pretty closely, watching beat reporters 
tweet out videos of him throwing the ball and it was it was literally him throwing the ball back to the to the coach i just i can't really get past that rib injury i think it's a lot worse than they're than they're letting out i mean they're gonna shoot him up they're gonna dope him up like they always do and it's one of those injuries that you just have to play through. It's something that just heals on its own. So he's going to be struggling with this for quite some time. But this is, you know, a week later. What can we expect? Are they really going to be ultra aggressive against a Jag team that they completely expect to beat at home? I don't quite see that. And I like the Jacksonville weapons. Like you mentioned, that Washington game, they easily should have won that. It was a ETN drop on fourth and goal that was right in his hands. He would have walked into the end zone, and they win the game. I think they have enough weapons, and the defense has really been doing pretty well. I know we're we're down on Indy, or everyone's down on Indy. They shut them out. There's a lot to be said about shutting out an NFL team that's really impressive Jonathan Taylor is still who he is and they didn't let them score I think there's a lot to be said about this Jacksonville defense taking a step and the offense taking a step I think getting rid of Urban Meyer is is just a huge by subtraction and then you hire Doug Peterson absolutely yeah absolutely he's a Super Bowl winning coach Yeah. yeah I think this is too big of a number I don't see the Chargers coming out here and winning this game by seven. This might be a sneaky live dog. Yeah, again, it won't be uh, certainly a public one, but it's also I don't think it's a plug your nose one either. I, I think there's legit reason no, to be this excited. Isn't, this isn't that gross. I don't feel gross about this one. There's a lot of dogs when it's usually you know seven or more points. I feel pretty gross about a dog, especially on the road, but. I don't feel overly gross about this Jacksonville team. Yeah, no, I'm totally with you. Uh, Let's get to a game that a lot of people are going to see in the late afternoon window, and that's Green Bay against Tampa Bay as the Packers travel to Tampa to take on the Bucs. Looks like this has been bet down to pick. Um, I'm going to check another book here to see uh, what number the uh, uh, secondary book that I look at is hanging but uh okay tampa's still minus one um at other shops but nonetheless uh total of 42 that seems pretty widely available and alex i gotta be honest i disagree with this line move uh, i know that this, i think green bay opened close to plus three might have been some two and a halves but yeah definitely uh, open three I, i'm gonna be on the I'm, I, 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 certainly a pick i like the bucks uh Aaron Rodgers in his career against the the box, excuse me, a passer rating of just 77.4, eight touchdowns to nine interceptions against the Bucks, And he got his ass kicked in the regular season by a lot of players on this Tampa defense in 2020, and then got sacked five times in the AFC, in the NFC championship game later that year at Lambeau uh, through a pick in that NFC championship game as well. So, you look at what Tampa's been doing, and they've been winning with defense. And I like—I don't think the Evans suspension really should factor into the handicap here. Uh, I think that 
you know, Godwin's not there, but like he hasn't been there yet to start the season. Tampa's been winning, as I said, with defense. And like, again, low total of 42. So that would indicate fewer points. That's good for Tampa. Uh, Green Bay also, I, I looked this up and I found this interesting. 203 rushing yards collectively for the Packers last week. Possessed the ball for over 37 minutes against the Bears. That's not going to happen here. The Packer, the Bucks have allowed 171 rushing yards total between their two games against Dallas and New Orleans. Uh, so then you're talking about Aaron Rodgers having to kind of figure more things out with his unestablished group of pass catchers. Not much really makes me like the Packers here. I, I'll take the Bucks. I think you're on the right side. I did, I did see that Green Bay is nine and three against a spread as a dog under Lafleur. I don't really think that the Packers are the side here. The defense is I do I do like the Packers defense, which kind of leans me to the under, as gross as that is at forty two points. But if I had to take a side, it would be Tampa. This is probably gonna be a pass for me. Granted, it's the best game in the four o'clock window, so I know I'm gonna be betting it. I'll probably just tell you on the Patriots or sorry, <laughs> the Bucks, the Tom Brady Bucks, and just hope for the best. But I don't have much here. I think the defense is clear to Tampa. I just don't really trust either offense. This might be a spot where the Packers actually have the better wide receiver core, which is wild. Godwin and Julio Jones both didn't practice today. That's pretty concerning. Gosh, yeah, the Packers having the better receiver record. That's crazy to think about, but it could be that may well be right here. So, uh, no, I again, I, I think that the defense rules the day here again, given the total. So, I like the Bucks, but uh, let's go to another AFC, excuse me, another NFC South team, uh, as it's the Atlanta Falcons, as they make the cross country trip to the Pacific Northwest as a one point underdog against the Seattle Seahawks, an identical total of forty two. And Alex, if the Bears are the worst team in the NFL, then the Falcons are pretty close to it as they got blown out, but then managed to sneak in the back door and cover against the Rams last week. Uh, and then they they just, you know, collapsed in a cataclysmic fashion in week one against the New Orleans Saints. Uh, so, uh, I, I, listen, I don't know if Seattle like I, I think there's going to be a team in the NFC that like last year, the Eagles were not supposed to be very good. And they found their way to nine wins and got in the playoffs. And the NFC has since seen the departure of Devontae Adams and Russell Wilson. And, um, you know, I might be missing another name or two. But regardless, um, the point I'm making is I think there's going to be a relatively ugly playoff team in the NFC uh, who is like close to a double digit underdog in week in wildcard weekend, the way the Eagles were against the Bucks. And the reason I bring this up with this game is like, like part of me wants to like make a case for Seattle is like doing what it did routinely against Denver to try and be that team. I think the Giants could be that team. I think Detroit could be that team. Um, and the point is Atlanta is not going to be that team. 
So I, I just think this number's a little off, given how elite of a home field we still think Seattle is. Seattle only being a one-point favorite indicates Atlanta's just a better team. And I don't think that's true. I don't think I'm playing Seattle, uh, but I strongly lean that way. Yeah, I would have to agree. This is a this is a tough spot. I did see uh, Pete Carroll fifteen and four against the spread in his past nineteen games without Russell Wilson. And you looked at Geno Smith. It's actually been pretty solid. That's pretty crazy. Could Pete Carroll be like again if if Seattle ends up being that team? Where, like, again, somebody at 8-9 or 9-8 and eight sneaks in as a wild card. Like, is Pete Carroll a coach of the year candidate? You would think he is, right? Oh, if they can manage that, yeah. Absolutely. And, again, I'm not saying they're going to do that, but I, I think that path exists for them, and I don't think that path exists for Atlanta. And so by that in and of itself, if I think that path exists for them, I have to think Seattle wins this game. Yeah, I don't think it's that unrealistic to to see that path for Seattle. And yeah, I think Atlanta is going to be one of the worst teams in the NFL. This is a tricky one. I think you have to lean the Seahawks here. That home home field is it's pretty strong. And then terrible travel spot for the Falcons. I think the only way to look is the Seahawks, but this is the ugliest game, maybe on the season. <laughs> I mean, hey, you got very uh, if you're a bar owner across the country, we're talking about corner TV at the bar games. Your early window corner TV at the bar game is Houston, Chicago, and your late window corner TV at the bar game is Atlanta and Seattle. And you don't really have to think twice about either one of those. Yeah, this is this is a tough one. If anyone walks in there and asks for this game. You just you I, I think corner. like you gotta like start judging their character a little bit, you know. Like, <laughs> Absolutely. What goes on? This is on a this is on a TV in the kitchen. They have to sit in there to watch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you send them back and maybe maybe make them cook their own meal. You know, I mean, like <laughs> something. I don't it's hate gonna, that. Some punishment that's got to be served. But anyway, let's stay in the NFC West, where a much more appetizing game takes place in the desert as the Los Angeles Rams travel to Arizona to take on the Cardinals. Arizona with uh, one of those impressive comebacks from last week, now catching three in the hook at home, total of 48 and a half. Uh, And I'll be honest, this is just for me, you know, Alex, I think you talked about it earlier in the pod with, I think, Cincinnati about 0-2 ATS teams. Uh, and how they thrive usually in week three. We have that in play here with the Rams. And uh, this is also going to be just a fate of Arizona. I I looked at that last week and thought, you know, that's just uh, a phony, you know, one of the phonier results. And, and of course, I was thinking about fate of Miami, thinking about fate of the Jets, but the spots didn't quite line up the same way for me with Buffalo laying close to a touchdown on the road and, and, and Cincinnati just not playing that well, um, you know, with Buffalo playing Miami and Cincinnati playing the Jets. Those, these were the three comebacks that I thought, OK, I want to fade one of them, Miami, Jets or Arizona. And Arizona just makes the most sense for me in terms of a bet against given the spot. You, I think you have some stats on McVay uh, just owning the Cardinals. So we have that going for us. I also think this maybe is a stronger play in the first half. 
on the basis that the Rams, given the way they closed the game and or the lack thereof against Arizona, excuse me, against Atlanta last week, uh, perhaps there's a little little anger early here for the Rams, uh, but they're just a better team than Arizona. I mean, that goes without saying, given this number. Um, and uh, Arizona does nothing for me without DeAndre Hopkins. Rondo Moore is probably going to miss the game again. Uh, so uh, Kyler Murray all by himself keeps the car, the Cardinals in another game. I'm not sure I'm seeing that again, especially against a defense that while the Raiders have some good players on defense, this is obviously a huge step up against the Rams defense that I believe was the biggest reason why the Rams won the Super Bowl last year. So um, Rams minus the points. Uh, I definitely think that, you know, if Stafford can get me three touchdowns. There might be a few field goals as well for the Rams. I'll feel pretty good about them getting into the mid to the upper 20s. I think that covers this number. Rams on the road for me. I'm pretty down on both these teams, so I'm going to ultimately pass. But, yeah, Sean McVay absolutely owns Arizona. He's 10-1 outright and against his spread in his career against Arizona. And then he's six and one against the spread against the cards with Cliff Kingsbury. And as we all know, we're, we're pretty down on Cliff. I just don't really respect either of these teams. I'm down on the Rams defense a lot after these first two performances, which is surprising. That's what carried them last season. So to see that, comeback last week that was really uninspiring to allow that Falcons team to even be remotely in the game this is going to be a pass for me but I think the Rams are the only way to look okay let's get to another NFC West team as we have a few more games to get to Sunday night football in the mile high city the San Francisco 49ers are a small one and a half point road favorite Against Broncos country, let's ride as the Denver Broncos welcome in the San Francisco 49ers. Total of 45 here. Uh, and Alex, this is this may be. Well, I shouldn't say that because we do have Denver has to face Andy Reid twice, too, this year. But when it comes to biggest coaching matches of the season, this is right up there. Kyle Shanahan against Nathaniel Hackett. It's the first thing I thought when I saw this number. Open actually around plus one pick, uh, you know, so plus one being the dog was San Francisco. I still don't think the number is where it need, needs to be. I mean, this is a Denver team that has looked bad in two games. A coach that doesn't really in Hackett that doesn't appear to have any clue what he's doing. And a Russell Wilson who eh, might not be the same Russell Wilson. So all of that said, you know. Even if you think Garoppolo to Lance, or Lance to Garoppolo was a wash, you know, because I, I don't hear anybody saying it's a downgrade. A lot of upgrade takes, and at worst, it's a wash. So we know the game plan here for San Francisco. We know how Garoppolo is very comfortable here. He comes in. He covered last week in relief of Lance against Seattle. Hey. I, I just think this is the same 49ers team that has made a few deep playoff runs. And this is a Denver team that is 
mispriced on the basis that their quarterback is Russell Wilson, and I don't think he's the same Russell Wilson anymore, and the coach might be the worst in the NFL. So San Francisco is a very clear side for me. This may be my favorite play on the NFL card in week three. Uh, probably make this a max play. 49ers minus the point in the hook. I love it. I grab the Niners plus one early in the week. But there are some concerning trends when Jimmy G and also Shanahan are favorites. Kyle Shanahan, 15-24-2 against the spread as a favorite. And if you're playing the trends here, we do have Russell Wilson in prime time, which is a good thing if you're back in Denver. But we saw Russell Wilson lose outright in prime time week one as a hefty road favorite. Very true. That's a great point. I think Nathaniel Hackett, like you mentioned, I think he completely negates all these trends in terms of Shanahan being bad as a favorite and Russell Wilson being good in prime time. Just one of the more inept coaches probably in the nfl just looks completely out of his league he's even admitted so just coming back like saying how he you know was not sure about that kick and then just the clock management it's really it's really embarrassing to be honest i I think the niners are a great look here i would still play him as a favorite i don't trust this broncos team at all I think the Niners are back to their formula that's brought them to the playoffs and division-winning formula. Yeah, I really like the Niners here. By the way, interesting uh, look-ahead. Chief San Francisco laying one on the look-ahead line against the Rams in week four. And, Alex, we know about Shanahan's dominance of Sean McVay, so maybe you make two bets here. Oh, man. That is an interesting look-ahead spot. Is that in San Francisco? I it's think? in San Francisco, but, uh, you know, now having said that, I like the Rams against Arizona, too, so if they both win, maybe the number doesn't move that much, but uh, something to consider yeah, there. Yeah, very true. All yeah, right, that's uh, interesting. let's wrap up with the battle for second place in the NFC East as the Dallas Cowboys head to the Meadowlands to take on the New York Giants. Dallas, a one-point underdog, and I believe the lowest total on the board here for week three of 39. I'll be honest, Alex, I kind of like the Cowboys here. Uh, We've seen them now in a primetime game in 2021 against Minnesota with Cooper Rush win outright as a seven-point dog, I believe. And a seven-point dog last week in a, uh, you know— not necessarily a standalone game, but a marquee late afternoon CBS Nats Romo game uh, against Cincinnati win outright as a seven point dog at home against, uh, as I said, the Bengals. So I look at the Cowboys and think, I don't think the quarterback is that bad of a downgrade here, uh, especially when you consider how poorly they played against Tampa and how bad Prescott looked before the injury. So, I think Rush can be functional. And I look at that Cowboys defense and say through two games, they played really well. And certainly last week against Cincinnati, they were excellent. And what exactly is imposing about the Giants offense? Is it like the kicker, Graham Gano making 55 yarders? Like, 
you know, it's one of the worst wide receiver rooms in the National Football League. It's not a very good offensive line. I mean, if the Giants are that team that I talked about where, like, there's going to be a team in the NFC where it's like, oh, they made the playoffs. Wow. You know, like, maybe it's the Giants. Then Saquon Barkley is going to be in the MVP conversation because I don't like this offense. Uh, and the defense isn't bad. Um, but what do we take from Tennessee and Carolina, the two opponents for the Titan, for the Giants? Like, I, I, I just think I'm not going to say the wrong team's favored because, again, it is a backup quarterback for Dallas. But I kind of think Dallas is the better team despite the quarterback injury. I think the Cowboys are the side. So uh, and it's a division dog, albeit of just one point. So I'll take the Cowboys on Monday Night Football. And also, last thing, I mean, we were anti-Giants last week. A three-point win against Carolina is really not changing my opinion that much of the Giants. I think very clearly the phoniest 2-0 and team is the New York Football Giants. I completely agree. We love fading Danny Dimes as a favorite. Giants just in that favor or not that team. They 0-3 against the spread as a favorite since 2020, and they're 4-10-1 against well, the Well, no, it's going to be 1-3 and three now, right, because they covered last week? So that game, they actually closed the underdog slightly. Oh, wow. There was that much steam on Carolina? Yeah, surprisingly. Wow, okay. <clears throat> so we, we definitely don't like the, the Giants in this role. Especially in the divisional. Do you game. think they close a dog here? It would not surprise me. I think this opened three. It's already down to one. It did open three, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So it wouldn't shock me that the Cowboys go off a favorite. And I think that's a side to look at. I don't want much to do with either of these. I think the total, despite it being so low, 39, that's really gross. I think the under would be a good look here. I really like this Dallas defense, especially that pass rush. And then Danny Dimes under pressure from Parsons. I I just don't think he can really get it done. I think the Cowboys are the only look here. But I'm also, you know, I'm not running to back a backup quarterback on the road in a divisional game. That's really tough. That's This is a plug-your-nose spot, despite being only one point. Is this a plug-your-nose spot regardless of which side you take? <laughs> <laughs> Probably, to be honest. This is really gross on either side. I mean, you could can make a decent case for both, but I just know Danny Dimes on the favorite role. That's not a side you want to be on. No, it is not. So... A little uh, consensus on what is at least now a division dog in the Dallas Cowboys. I'm on it football to wrap things up for a week three edition of Full Slate. Alex, my man, I know it's late, so let's get out of Dodge. And uh, here's to a better week three. I know week one was great. Week two, not so great. Let's uh, get back in the black on week three. Yeah, buddy. Bunch of interesting games. I'm excited.
All right, he's Alex Uplinger at Alex underscore up seven and at full underscore slate underscore pod managing our podcast Twitter. I'm on gambling Twitter at undercover Greg. As I said, there's been another edition of Full Slate, a Blue Wire gambling podcast. Thanks to all for hanging with us for the full 80 minutes and change. And of course, please play responsibly. Enjoy week three.